We're moving through the desert with uh, the people of Israel and Moses. And last weekend, I mentioned how one, you know, two, a couple things you have to have in the, in the wilderness. You have to have food and you have to have water. Well, now they've come to a place where they don't have water. Now, this, this isn't, they haven't, you know, they left Egypt. This isn't a, like a time where it's happened now. They've never had water. God hasn't provided water. In fact, if you read the earlier chapters of Exodus, God has already provided them water at a couple of places. And uh, there's the story of the bitter water, and there's another a story. So, so God has been providing them with water, but now they've come to a place, like you do in the wilderness, where now as they've traveled some more, they've come to a place where there's no water. And so they begin to rebel against Moses. And they're not just rebelling against Moses, really, in a sense, they're rebelling against God. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, they're struggling with God. And so uh, we want to look at that passage, but the principle that I want you to see is this, that until you get to a place where God is all you have, you may never come to the understanding that God is all you need. And I believe that with all my heart, that many times God has to take us to a wilderness to put us to a place where he strips everything away from our lives so that we can begin to understand that we desperately need him. And I believe even more so in our culture today, in our American culture where we are so blessed and all of our needs are so met, uh, you may not think that, but compared to the rest of the world, we're way above the rest of the world. We're probably wealth-wise and you know, just health care and, and food, available food and water, clean water and sanitary. We're probably at the top 90 to 95% of everyone in the world. So it's hard to say, God, I need you when you have most of your physical needs met. But when you're in the wilderness and you don't have any food and you don't have any water, it's very apparent that you need God. So we're going to look at that. So if you would join me, we're going to jump into uh, Exodus chapter 17. I would love you to follow me either on your phone or uh, you can. there's a Bible in the chair in front of you. Um, But let me start reading. This is uh, Exodus 17, starting at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from uh, from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped, camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses. And that word quarreled is a very strong word. It means this is getting out of hand. They are ready to riot. That's essentially what the word means. They quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled And because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
They tested the Lord, saying, is God really with us? Have you ever thought that or said that, you know, as you go through difficult times? Is God really with me because I'm going through this health crisis? Is God really with me because I'm going through this difficult time in a relationship? Is God really with me because I'm going through this economic time? Have we ever questioned God? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. There's three lessons, though, that we want to learn from our, from our past. It's three lessons. The first one is this. Life begins, real life begins, when we give our lives to God. Life begins when we give our lives to God. Now, notice the people have moved from complaining to quarreling to almost an all-out riot. Moses is, is afraid that he's going to be stoned by the people. He is absolutely afraid that they are going to riot to the point where they are going to stone him. And, and what is their charge against him? You're not providing for us, Moses, the basics for life. You're not providing food. You're not providing water. That's the account today. They're, you're not providing water. We need water. Uh, but their quarrel, and we're going to see this more as we go deeper into the passage, their quarrel really isn't with Moses. It's really with God. They're, they're, they're really uh, concerned, you know, upset with God. Because, and here's the interesting thing. God has provided, as I said before, you read the earlier chapters, he's provided food, he's provided water. He's always provided exactly what they needed every step of the way. And you, you might wonder, well, why are they so quick to forget the provision of God? I mean, after all, God has provided to them. I mean, listen, he brought them out of Egypt. He parted the, he parted the Red Sea. He, he and protected them. He gave them protection. He's provided them food. He's provided them water. He's given them everything they need every step of the way. Now, he hasn't given it ahead of time, but when they need it, he's already get, always given them what they want. So why don't they see that? Why don't they get that? Same reason we don't. <laughs> the same reason we don't. It, it's kind of like this. Um, sometimes... Uh, it's like, and what we get to see as we read the Bible is, we get to look down and we get to see everything compacted. You know, the stories are all compacted. The time is all compacted. So it seems like, uh, today God provided. Now, the next day, they're angry with God and God provides. And then they're angry with God. And so within a week, they've had two or three of these. But they're compressing time. The other thing is, it's like this. We have a bird's eye view. We're looking down on the forest. And it's like looking down in the forest and seeing people who are lost, right? And you see the trails going out. And you see the people kind of wandering around. And you want to yell down to them, no, just go this way. If you go this way, you'll get out. We see that bird's eye view, but they don't. They're in the middle of it. And when we're in the middle of it, we do the same thing, if we're honest. We question God. We get angry with God. We wonder if he's with us. All those things happen. See, um, the other thing that's going on is, and I think we do this, at least I do, maybe you don't, but, but I think we tend to think that when we get to a certain place, then we begin to live. We get to a certain place. So we get the right job, right? We meet the right person. We, we get to a certain economic level. We get a certain education, uh, we think, if I get to that place, then my life begins, right? We tend to do that with our lives. But what God is trying to show His... And so the people are thinking, well, just take us to the land. Get us out of Egypt. Take us to the promised land. Simple as that. Let's not play around. Let's not walk around. But God has a, a number of lessons that He's trying to teach His people. See, His people think, once we get to the land, everything is good. We're gold. 
Uh, and that's kind of what we do. If I get to this place, whatever it is, we think if we get there, we're, we're, we're set. Uh, but that's not what God wanted to do. God wanted them to understand that he was the one leading them. He wanted them to understand who he was. They wanted, he really wanted them to understand that life begins not with where you get or who you marry or who you're with or what your career looks like or any of those things. Life begins when you get to know God and you begin to walk with God. That's where life begins. Now, we do the same thing. We, like I said, uh, once I get my career, once I live my dream, once I, uh, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, here's what I found. Uh, many times, and most of us, many of us, I shouldn't say most, I don't know how many, many people never reach that dream. They never read that, reach that. It's kind of like they, they say, if I get to a certain economic level or if I marry the right person and then they marry the person or they're with the person and they go, well, that wasn't the right person or it didn't turn, they're not, this relationship isn't turning out the way. I guess I must have, I'm with the wrong person. So there must be another person. So they go, and there are two or three people down the road before they realize, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not about the person. Or career, you say, well, if I could just get that job, you get that job. And all you saw at the front end of it was all the perks. But now you're seeing not just the perks, but you're seeing all the drag. And you go, you know, that job looks so much better, but now I'm in it. It doesn't look so great. And, you know, all those different things. And it's kind of like the, the finish line keeps getting, you know, moved out further and further and further. And we think, well, if I could just arrive. And what God is saying to us is not about arriving. It's about knowing me. It's about knowing me. And we, you know, we know there's, there's a number of people that um, have arrived. I mean, you know, a great example, if you want to watch a great example, uh, Go to YouTube tonight and just uh, do the 60 minutes uh, interview with Tom Brady a couple years ago who had gotten his, he had just won a Super Bowl ring and it was number three or whatever it was. And he's married to a supermodel. So they both make, you know, more money they could spend. They, they can do whatever they want. They've achieved the high, highest level of society. And what does he say? He says, you know, I feel like something's missing. I thought that when I got here, and he doesn't say this, but essentially the idea is, I thought when I got to the top, then that would be cool, but it's something still missing. And, and, and that's kind of the, the finish line keeps getting moved out because the world and the things of the world can't give you what your soul desperately is thirsting for. That's the thing that God wants his people to see. They were thirsting for water, but what God wanted to see is the thirst for water just points to a real spiritual thirst, and that's me. Um, you know, what, I said this before, uh, one of the problems with this world in this, in this uh, American culture is that we really are cursed. We're blessed. Greater than any other nation on the earth right now. But we're cursed. That blessing is a curse. Because here's what it does. It doesn't move us to dependence on God. It moves us away from dependence on God. We are so blessed that we don't need God for most things. And, and so the only time that people generally come to look for God is when something goes really, really wrong in their life. But generally, 
I mean, think about this week. Just be honest inside your own mind and say, what did you do this week? I mean, how was God included in your life this week? Did you even confer with him? Did you even acknowledge him? Did you even walk with him this week? And I'm not trying to be, this is not a guilt thing. This is more of a, I'm just trying to illustrate that we don't need him. Uh, the way we, the way our society, because it's so prosperous, we're cursed by it. We don't really feel we need God. We've got plenty of food, clothing, and shelter. Um, I think it's one of the hardest times to convince people to give their lives to God because ultimately they say, why? What is it going to get me that I don't already have? And, and, and so that's the question. Uh, why would I give my life to God? What can he offer me that I don't have? So the challenge today is to try to convince people they need someone they can't see to give their life to someone they don't think they need and to show them a life they can't picture. Okay, that's number one. And so the, the second lesson is in this passage is this, I think. Shepherding God's people, or God's sheep, brings new challenges. Shepherding God's sheep brings new challenges. So Moses cries out to God, what am I to do with these people? What do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. I'm at a wit's end. They're going to they're get, get stones in a little bit and they're going to kill me. I'm sure that Moses longed for those days when he was in the wilderness. You know, he spent 40 years in the wilderness getting prepared to lead God's people, right? So he's a shepherd and, and I'm sure he's looking back and saying, you know, I thought, I, was, I thought life was hard there. I thought the sheep were ornery there. Man, I didn't know what ornery sheep were until I started leading the nation of Israel. I mean, those are some ornery sheep. And, and, and so I'm sure he wishes he could have gone back. Here's the problem with sheep. They don't want to do for themselves what is necessary. That's why they have a shepherd. They don't want to take care of themselves. They need a shepherd to lead them. Uh, for, for example, let me give you an example. <clears throat> One of the things that's interesting about sheep is they need to drink water. But they can't drink out of a stream. They don't want to, they're, 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 they're very skittish. And so they won't drink out of a stream. So what a shepherd has to do is he has to dam up a pool of water of a stream. So it's calm. So the sheep will go in and drink. Because if it's running water, they will not drink. Now think about that. Because you know a verse, every one, probably every one of you, that whether you're, you're, you're watching or you're listening or whatever, you've heard the verse. Let me read it to you right now. And think about this pooling up water for the sheep. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, what does it say? Quiet or still waters. See, a shepherd has to still the waters before the sheep will drink. See, one of the challenges today is for pastors to help their people, their sheep, drink of this living water. And it's becoming more and more, it's becoming more and more difficult to get the sheep to drink. Because the sheep don't know they're thirsty. They don't know they need to drink. Uh, there's a lot of distractions out there. Let me give you a few distractions. And, and, and so the Bible says that that followers of God, followers of Jesus Christ, are sheep, right? And, 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 and the pastors 
And, and leaders are called to shepherd the sheep, right? That's the New Testament picture that we use. Uh, so what are some of the distractions that the sheep have today to drinking uh, the living water? Uh, number one, there's a multitude of watering holes today. There's a multitude of watering holes. People today can fill their lives with good things. Now here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of good things you can do with your life. But what's happening today, more than ever before, is people are taking good things and they're making them God things. People are taking good things like family and they're making family God. People are taking things like career and making it a God thing. People are taking, you know, any, you know, exercise and being healthy is a good thing, but they're making it a God thing. Now, how do they, how are they doing that? They're taking family, they're taking career, they're taking accomplishments, the pursuit of health, whatever it is. All of these wells, though, are polluted because, and, and here's what I mean by that, is if your pursuit in life is to, let's just say, your pursuit is to eat healthy and exercise and to maintain a very good health, uh, healthy lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that becomes your main reason to live, it becomes a polluted well. Because in the end, it will not sustain you. Because there's something spiritual about you that that cannot address. It never will address. And when you put, put all your energy and all your time into that, and here's the thing, just take your health and say, what happens if you have a gene where you have some sort of a disease or you're, you give cancer? Now, all of a sudden, this thing that you pursued, this thing that you, you ate right, you, you, you exercised, you, you did all the right things, and all of a sudden now you have cancer. What do you do now? Well, all of a sudden, this thing that you pursued has just come back to bite you. You say, what do I do? You, you know, the same can be true of relationships, family, all those things. They're not bad things, but good things become God things. And there, there's, there's a lot of those out there today. Secondly, the second reason that uh, sheep aren't uh, drinking living water today is the busyness of life. Life has become more and more complex and busy. People are too busy to stop and drink. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that I do, it's, it's a weakness of mine, is when I get involved in a project, and I've had a project going for the last few months, and when I get working on it, my wife will come home and say, do you want to have lunch? And I'll say about half an hour. Yeah, half an hour. I'll take a whole day and I'll be working on this. And I'll say, yeah, give me a half an hour. And then she'll come out and it's half an hour later. It's usually about 40 minutes. And she says, do you want to eat? I go, uh, yeah, about half an hour. And it's like, I keep going. And she, you know, but it's like, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And I get too busy to eat. And I start getting tired and irritable and, you know, hangry, you know, all those different things going on. And, uh, you know, that's the way we are. And, and that's the way life can get. And you have good intentions uh, of sitting down and taking the Word of God and, and drinking from the Word of God, the spring of life. You have good intentions to get connected to God's church, God's people. And, and you, you make a promise, one day you're going to do it. But as, you, as the years go on, as the months go on, uh, nothing happens. The third thing is the lack of concern. Many people just don't see the need to drink. They're doing just fine without drinking. Maybe when life gets hard, I'll go. But right now, life's going well, so I really don't think I need God in my life. They don't understand that there's a spiritual emptiness 
that only God can fill. Let me read you a passage. This is from Jesus. This is John chapter 7. He said, On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is saying to us, you, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, you need living water. You need to stop and you need to drink. You need to be near the still waters and you need to drink. You can't be too busy You can't drink from those poison wells. Those wells aren't going to feed your soul. Uh, And and, and that's the struggle that that pastors are are facing today, that churches are facing today. Let me just say this. So so I'm going to turn into this. um, Here's where I'm going right now. I'm the old man that's telling you to get off my lawn. Okay? But I think I have a biblical basis to do that. So... Just let me preface what I'm saying, okay? I'm the old man saying, get off my lawn, you kids. All right. I'm concerned that a new generation is being taught uh, by the choices of their parents that living water is optional. Now, by living water, what I mean is being connected to God's Word and God's people. That that's a priority. That we have to be connected on a day-by-day basis. We looked at it last weekend. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We need to be connected to God's word, and we need to be connected to God's people. He is the spring of living water. He is that. We need living water, and we need his bread. Now, I'm concerned that the options... Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, I'm the old man, right? Get ready, here I come, all right? I see many parents that are choosing sports and club activities over having their kids and having their families connected to a Christian community. They say, well, my kid's playing football. My kid's playing baseball. My kid's involved in drama. My kid's involved in this club. And guess when they meet? They meet Sunday morning. I mean, I, I, I leave my house and... It's not too often uh, that I go by and the field is empty. There's people out there, kids out there, families out there. And all I'm saying is choices are being made. Now, it used to be that Sunday was sacred. You, did, didn't, you just didn't do that, but now that is gone. In the last five years, that's gone. The floodgates have opened up. Um, secondly, I, I think that there's a failure to model Christ in word and deed in your home. And when I bring parents who want to dedicate their, their babies, and really they're dedicating themselves to raise their babies, their children, in the way of the Lord, one of the questions I ask them, will you model Christ both in word and deed in your home? And they say, yes. And you know what? Many of them are, but you know what? Many of them are not. I, I don't see homes that are modeling Christ in word and deed and saying our relationship with God and our relationship to God's people is primary. It has to be primary over every other relationship and every other thing that we're involved in. And I just don't see parents today making that choice. I just don't see it. 
I, I think not leading your children in Bible instruction and prayer is a big thing. Now, here's, here's the implications from that, okay? Don't be shocked if your children never connect with Christian community and God's Word again. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if they don't ever consider, uh, they don't even consider the person they're marrying, whether they're of, of somebody who loves Jesus or not. Don't be, don't be shocked when they say, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm engaged. The, the person doesn't believe in God, they don't, you know, but, but I'm engaged. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if they make choices uh, and choose paths that are against God. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be shocked if one day they say, you know, Mom, Dad, I know that's good for you, but you know what? I don't believe there is a God. Don't be shocked by that. Now, I'm not saying that just because you model Christ in word and deed in your home and, and you connect to Christian, you, you help your kids connect uh, to Christian community and God's word, that every kid is going to, you know, you know, give their lives and hearts to God. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. If you choose everything else except that, don't be surprised if they do. They're just modeling your behavior. I'm concerned about that. I I believe we live in a day where we are raising a generation of kids, young people, that are going to grow up and have no knowledge. and And here's the bad part. The thing they so desperately need in their life that is going to drive their relationships, whether they're going to be healthy or not, it's going to drive their careers, whether they're healthy or not, going to drive their destiny, their hope, all those different things. The one thing that they need, the living water, they've been withheld from. I'm concerned about that. I see a trend. And I'm concerned about it. And by the way, that's not just here at Hope. That's across America. All right, number three. All right, so now I'm done being the old man, get off my lawn. But I do think I have a biblical basis to say that and concern. Now, you may have reacted a couple ways on that. You might have said, well, I expect the pastor, the preacher to say that. Or something you said, good good for you, pastor. Way to let them have it. Okay, yeah, that's good, yeah. But I'm just, I'm just asking a question. And I'm concerned about the seeds we're planting because they are going to come up. They are going to shoot a crop. I'm just concerned about the crop. That's all I'm saying. All right, number three. Jesus took the blow meant for us. So Moses gathers the elders. He cries out to God. He says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And um, it's very, it's almost, um, uh, there's this, this ceremonial type thing going on. So God says, get your staff. You know, the one that you struck the Nile with. Uh, so he gets his staff. And, and the people, uh, the elders are with Moses and they're following Moses. And the people are gathered around and the elders are there. And he says, go to the rock. And then God says, I'm going to be there at the rock. I'm either going to be on the rock or I'm going to be near the, standing near the rock. The point you need to see is the presence of God is, on, is near or on the rock. Okay, that's the point that, that you want to see. And he says, and when you get to the rock, Moses, I want you to strike the rock with your rod. Now, when you strike a rod and you, you strike it down, it's a sign of judgment and it's a sign of punishment. That's the point. 
See, what's going on and, and what God realizes is that the people aren't really bringing charges against Moses. They're bringing charges against God. They're saying, God, you failed us. You're not providing what we need. You're letting us down. You should have never brought us out of Egypt. We're going to die in the desert. We don't think you love us. We don't think you're concerned about us. We don't think you can provide. And says, God says, fine. He says, I will go over. And he, he is, his presence is on the rock. And Moses strikes the rock. Now that's significant. That's significant. Because the rod, of, the rod is a rod of judgment and punishment. So when Moses raised the rod and struck the rock, he is bringing judgment and punishment. He was literally striking God, punishing God. Now, who's the one that should have been punished? Not God. Because God had done nothing wrong. God was providing for the people. Now, when Moses struck the rock, water came gushing out. Now, in other words, the point you need to see here is that God took the blow. He was punished for the rebellion of the people. We're told in the New Testament, and this is the uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse. So one of the reasons why reading the New Testament is so important in understanding the Old Testament, they kind of are... The way I look at the Old Testament and New Testament is they're like this. And so the Old, the New Testament is going to give us some light, some interpretation of the Old Testament. Notice what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1. He says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud when they passed through the sea. That's the crossing of the Red Sea. Okay? They were baptized, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, that's the manna, and they drank the spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock. This is the rock we're talking about right now. So he's, so what Paul's doing, he's referring back to the manna, and now he's talking about this incident where the, where Moses struck the rock. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and he says this, that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. But what I want you to see is that Paul is saying that when Moses struck the rock that day, he struck Christ. Jesus took the blow for the people. God had done nothing wrong. The people were the ones who were rebelling. And, and God had provided for them. He had done nothing wrong. And yet, He took the place of the people. The ones that should have been judged were the people. But Jesus, took Jesus, who is the rock, took the punishment. Here's the point I want you to see. Jesus is the rock who took the blow. But the last blow that Jesus took was on the cross. Do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and darkness, there was darkness, and the Roman soldiers had to determine uh, whether uh, the, the criminals and Jesus were dead. So one of the ways they would do it is they would put a spear, they would uh, put a spear into the side. And so when the soldier came to Jesus and he struck his side with a spear, out of his side, what flowed? Remember what flowed out of his side? Water, then blood. 
You see, Jesus took the blow and the water flowed out. Now, I want you to, so we, we talked about this incident where Moses went and he struck the rock, all right? So 40 years later, 40 years later, after this event, Moses and the people, they're in another struggle over water. It, it almost seems like the same event, but it's 40 years later. They're, they're complaining, they're arguing with Moses, they're saying God doesn't provide for us. And so Moses, God says, go to, he says to Moses, he says, I want you to go to the rock. And I want you to speak to the rock. Moses has just lost it. He's been pushed too far. So Moses goes out, and he doesn't speak to the rock. He yells at the people. And he, and, and he, doesn't, speak, he doesn't speak to the rock. He takes, this, he takes the rod, and he strikes the rock. This happened 40 years after this event we just looked at. And God says to Moses, because you didn't believe in me, because you didn't honor me, you will not enter the promised land. And you go, that's awful harsh. Why in the world, God? Why in the world? Let me read you that passage. This is Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Why so harsh? One commentator said this. Let me read it to you. And I'm going to read it to you twice so you get the point. Because the ultimate rock, Jesus, from whom the life-giving streams flow, is struck once, no more. Why is Moses being judged so harshly? Because the ultimate rock, Jesus from whom the life-giving streams flow, is struck once and no more. Let's pray. Father, um, help us to understand the importance of drinking from the living water. And thank you that Jesus took the blow that we deserved. The Lamb of God who knew no sin became sin for us. And out of his side, when this blow was struck, water flowed. Father, thank you that he is the only one that can provide the living water that we so desperately need in our lives. May we be found drinking at the springs of living water on a regular basis. May we connect with God's word and God's people. May we help our kids and our families and everyone we know. Find those important life-giving connections, Father. Help us to understand that we cannot really live apart from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.